Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our first ever Hoop Talk Podcast Awards. Now, I have to say, I must add disclaimer, we don't actually have trophies to give out. However, this is the first ever Hoop Talk Podcast Awards. So let's get started. Our first award is our Comeback Player of the Year. Who is your NBA Comeback Player of the Year? I felt like we had a lot of really good options this year, of guys that we just did not get to see for a long time or didn't get to see very much of last season due to shortened, shortened seasons due to injury or maybe didn't get to play at all due to certain circumstances. But my guy is Carmelo Anthony. As Damian Lillard said, he is a Hall of Famer. And coming into this year, the term washed up was becoming associated with Carmelo Anthony. This was a guy who I felt like personally did very well in his 10-game stint with the Houston Rockets last season before getting basically dropped off for no for what felt like no reason. He wasn't traded. He wasn't, he wasn't even truly released. It kind of just was a very weird set of circumstances when it came to him and his uh his distancing from the team but this season he's come in stepped up as a third scoring option for the Portland Trailblazers he's averaged 15.5 points this season 6.3 rebounds nearly two assists shooting extremely well from the floor with 43.1 percent and 38.7 percent from three which is something that was very questionable coming into this season considering his ability to to shoot off the catch. It was one of those things where he's not going to have the ball-dominant tendencies that he may have had in a New York, for example. And similar to his role in Houston, was going to be relegated to being a spot-up shooter in late-game situations here and there. And he's actually thrived being, you know, just a third-option scorer. In the last three games that they've played um, in the bubble so far, they've scored, he's scored 20 points, at least 20 points, in all three games. Again, I can't reiterate enough. This is a guy who only got 10 games in last season. He was actually doing relatively well with with the Blazers earlier this season before, of course, the season's postponing. But I feel like the bubble has given him a chance on a stage where the Blazers are truly fighting for that final A spot and as of now have the eighth spot in their grasp. He is going to be a guy that come playoff time is going to be huge for them and has already hit a couple huge shots in this bubble to help them secure their position. I think he's a very pivotal player to the Blazers team, and he makes up a scoring deficit at a forward position for Portland that they have been missing for years. I think that's a solid choice, and I think that he makes a great trio with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I think he's another option on this team that's very formidable. We've seen Carmelo Anthony throughout the years where he's always been the first option, or in some cases, the second option. He's taking almost kind of a lesser role here with the third option, but I think it's it's really helping him succeed on the floor. Of course, he hit those two clutch buckets. The first one against the Grizzlies, the other against the Rockets. 
he's a phenomenal player, and he's kind of shown that not only can he still play at a high level, but he's also a Hall of Famer. My comeback player of the year is Chris Stapps Porzingis. Love that pick. I've always been a fan of Chris Stapps Porzingis. Going to Dallas, more specifically, leaving the Knicks may have been the best thing for his career. Of course, he had that injury, which caused him not to play. This year, he's playing with a purpose to prove himself to his new team, the Dallas Mavericks. His pairing with Luka Doncic makes for an amazing young NBA duo poised for success in the future. This year, I don't really know. Next year, definitely, and even in the years to come. He's a prime example of today's big man where he can not only play down low in the post, but also work in the mid-range and on the perimeter. He's averaging close to a double-double this year with 20 points and nine and a half rebounds, also averaging two blocks a game. He's also shooting just under 43% from the field and 35% from beyond the arc. These skills make him a versatile player, and this season has shown Kristaps Porzingis is here to stay. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis is a player that I felt like coming into this year, the question just was how long was it going to take for him to get his NBA legs back? This is a guy who missed a lot of time, Ryan. I mean, we're talking about one full year due to injury itself and another year just strictly dedicated to resting, dedicated to just making sure that that recovery was something that fully healed. This was a guy that coming into this season missed a ton of basketball, and the wonder just was if, for example, if he does get his NBA legs underneath of him and back to being a top five to seven center in the league, power forward in the league, depending on how you want to play him. What does that mean for the Dallas Mavericks, who also had a big staple of their franchise at that position in Dirk Nowitzki, just going out the door not even a season ago? So with that being the biggest, you know, thing to to take a look at, Christos Porzingis has been a guy who I felt like is overachieved since being drafted. Maybe not for being the fourth overall pick, but for the expectations that Knicks fans originally placed on him when he was drafted with the fourth overall pick. And there was the ideal that I don't know who this guy from overseas is, from Latvia, that's seven plus feet, and they claim he can shoot. He looks thin as a rail. What can he do? Well, all he's done is overachieve and live above whatever description that is. And I think that the Mavericks definitely fleeced the Knicks. The Knicks are still feeling that trade, I feel like. And Dallas has a very good one-two punch, like you said, with him and Luka, that despite maybe not being too dangerous in this year's playoffs, I genuinely think that I believe, I guess based on the standings, they would be playing the Clippers. That's going to be a tough drag-out series. And I think Kristaps is going to have a lot to do with how that happens. You can even say that's kind of the reason why KD and Kyrie didn't go to the Knicks. They went to the Nets instead because of the Porzingis trade. True. Moving on to our next award, though, the NBA Storyline Award. This does not include the COVID-19 storyline this year when the season was postponed on March 11th. So, Jalen, who is your winner for the storyline? So, I have to be honest, the question that I asked myself a lot of this season, and I've been kind of looking at it a little bit more now throughout this bubble when we've had a lot more time to take a look at them, and it's, are the Milwaukee Bucks legit? And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that obviously we've done certain playoff picks and 
who's the team to fear the most. We've had these kind of topics in the past, and I've always mentioned, you know, Philly, if they get right, Boston, do their depth, the Raptors, because they have championship experience despite losing Kawhi in the offseason. But I tend to not mention Milwaukee often, and I think it's because I truly wonder whether or not they are built for a championship run with their roster as currently constructed. They've had the 27th or 28th ranked schedule from the beginning of the season, which means basically Milwaukee's been playing a lot of the East. And when you look at that, obviously that sways the numbers a little bit, but it also comes into uh, the question comes, have they played enough basketball against quality teams and got enough quality wins and performed well in those games against quality teams to the point that they truly feel like a championship contender to me or a championship, you know, winner to me. A lot of people tend to pencil in the Bucks because of Giannis, Chris Middleton's ability to be a two-way wing at the in a secondary option. Um, Splash Mountain in Brooke Lopez has been shooting crazy from behind the arc this year. And those are all really good bright spots. But Eric Bledsoe is a huge question mark to me at that point guard position because I feel like he's a guy that you never know who you get come playoff time in the biggest moments. Dante DiVincenzo is a guy who tends to play very well in sporadic minutes. But come playoff time down the stretch, is he another guy that can be a primary ball handler for their team? These are the type of questions that I have for them where it makes me wonder whether or not they're built for regular seasons runs or if they're a team that really has true championship contention written written all over them. I think Giannis gets a lot of the attention and therefore their flaws get swept under the rug. But I think it's time now that we're closing in on the playoffs to start asking, is Milwaukee legit? And I mean, I've been wondering that all year. So I, I think that's the biggest storyline for me. How about you? My biggest storyline is Boston's point guard situation. How mm. they are transitioning from Kyrie Irving to Kemba Walker. This is a storyline that I don't think anybody's really paying attention to. And let me tell you why. Boston had Kyrie Irving for two seasons. It was an upgrade over Isaiah Thomas, but let's face it. Isaiah Thomas was coming off his best career season. In my opinion, this trade shouldn't have happened. They, they should have kept Isaiah Thomas around, let him stick around for the remainder of his time in Boston. I feel like he was just disrespected by the Celtics. I can't say Kyrie Irving's time in Boston was bad, but I would say it was kind of underwhelming. The first season that Kyrie was there, he plays great, but he gets injured. The Celtics go to the playoffs. They grab the second seed. They play much better without him and they take the Cavs to seven in the Eastern Conference, mainly because of guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Terry Rozier. His second season begins with him wanting to re-sign with Boston at the beginning of the season, and then he didn't, then he did, then he didn't, and then he did. It's like too much going on. So there was some drama going on around surrounding that decision. He still played great. The Celtics, however, dropped to the fourth seed. They ended up winning in the first round against the Pacers. But they go to the second round, they win game one against Milwaukee, and then they lose the next four. Kyrie then leaves for Brooklyn in the offseason after the whole ask me on July 1st comment that he made. And then July 1st came around, he signed with Brooklyn. Boston ended up signing Kemba Walker in the offseason. I feel like he brings less drama, and 
he's more of a team player than I think Kyrie is. I think Kyrie works better on the isolation. Solid season from Kemba. Celtics are still a top team in the East. They're actually at the third seed right now. They no longer have to deal with Kyrie Irving being a distraction. Am I saying Kemba Walker is better than Kyrie? No. I'm saying that the team seems more cohesive with Kemba more than with Kyrie. I think maybe, maybe, I mean, hot take here, but maybe because Kyrie can't lead a team. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess to ride off of that, it's weird. Ryan, I kind of have to take your hot take and raise another hot take. And it's kind of a different approach from the point guard situation that you addressed. Rather than kind of chronicling the point guard situation from year to year for the Celtics, the route that I'm actually going to go is that I kind of wonder if the Celtics are better when Marcus Smart plays point guard. And the reason why I say that is just out of the fact that we understand that this team can score. We understand that Jason Tatum is starting to slowly but surely, if not maybe quickly, assert himself as a top five small forward in the league. We understand that anytime that Jalen Brown drops more than 20 points per game, the Celtics are practically unstoppable. Gordon Hayward is a guy who, as like the third, fourth option on this team, is a guy who can create his own shot, understands how to play within a system, and still can average between 15 and 20 points no matter how many touches he gets. Daniel Tice has been a guy at center who has kind of been holding it down at the position that obviously everyone understands is the weakest link for the Boston Celtics, especially with the departure of Al Horford to the 76ers. That's one of their biggest holes. And of course, losing Enos Cantor was a big hit too, I think, in that position. But when we talk about Marcus Smart, I think when we talk about all the offense that Boston has, we underrate how well of a defender Marcus Smart is. And it kind of makes me wonder, with him at the lead guard position as a primary facilitator and a guy who can pretty much guard one through three, I believe, on the perimeter, is a better all-around point guard for their team. So as well as Kimba's playing, and I definitely love Kimba Walker for their team, one has to wonder whether or not Marcus Smart actually fits their, their scheme and their team a bit better moving forward. And that definitely will start to bring into question whether or not Kimba Walker's contract is something he can actually live up to if Marcus Smart starts to assert himself more as a lead guard. I mean, it's definitely a question to ask. I mean, I still kind of feel like Kyrie can't lead a team. And I just, I've seen it. I just don't think that he can. I think, yes, he wanted to prove that he could do it without LeBron. But he's kind of right in that aspect just because LeBron couldn't win a championship in 2017, 2018. Maybe they could use Marcus Smart at the point. I just don't know how it's going to fare. I feel like Kembo's just a natural point guard. I don't know if Marcus Smart is like a natural point guard in that position. I know he's he's a great player. I'll give the Celtics that. He's a great player. I'll give him that. But, like, I don't know if he would be a natural fit to run the point, whereas you have Kemba, who's already a, a veteran in the league. He's ready for his moment. I mean, he's ready to, you know, lead this team to victory. He's ready to lead this team to the finals. So I guess we'll kind of see what happens. But – I have to move on to the next topic that we have, which is our best NBA non-bubble team. Jalen, I have to I have to ask you, 
Who is your best non-NBA bubble team? I mean, of course, the underwhelming pick, right, would be the Golden State Warriors, but I don't think that's really a fair choice to make considering they spent most of the time unhealthy. So we're talking about the best team based on the roster they put on the floor night to night. I don't think that Golden State actually is in this conversation. To me, personally, I feel like it's the Atlanta Hawks. First of all, this is a Maryland-based podcast, and the Atlanta Hawks love them some Maryland. Alex Lynn, Kevin Herter, Bruno Fernando, all Maryland dudes. And, you know, shout out to them for that, because honestly, I think all three of those players are going to be very good rotational pieces for their team. But I think the main one, the main staples of this franchise, Trey Young, John Collins, and I think the dark horse for this team is going to be Cam Reddish coming on strong next season. Um, He was a guy who really started to improve on a month-to-month basis as a scorer as those waning months passed prior to COVID postponing the, the season. And I think that Cam Reddish's ability to find himself as another primary scorer on the team is going to be huge because I feel like they need another primary ball handler. I mean, that's, you know, that's the easy way for me to phrase it is Trey Young is a very ball dominant guard who somehow finds a way to be as dominant as he is and still facilitate an average double digit assists on a seasonal basis. So I think that their ability to find a second primary ball handler and shot creator in Cam Reddish is going to be the key to them taking a big step next season. So I'm going to go with the Hawks. I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets. Ooh, I like that pick. I like that. I think, listen, the Charlotte Hornets are a team that's always been so close to making the playoffs, but they're always like a player away or a coach away or I guess a play away from doing that. I just, I just feel like, you know, they're always something away from making the playoffs. And I think they haven't been able to do that even with Kemba Walker. I mean, they've only made the playoffs twice in the time that he's been there. I think they have a strong future ahead with Rozier, Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington. I feel like, yeah, they were honestly snubbed from joining this bubble. I think they were only about a game back from the Wizards. So it was kind of weird that they cut it off there. But I just think this team has a bright future ahead. They have a young core um, with Rozier, Graham, Bridges, and Washington. We can't forget about Caleb Martin coming off the bench as well. The rookie Love from Nevada. Him as a player. The rookie from Nevada. He's been he's been really phenomenal for them in this season. And not to mention they still have Nicholas Batum, who's a great three-point shooter and they just need to put their time into developing their young core players, allowing them to grow. And I think eventually they'll end up making the playoffs. I think that P.J. Washington is going to be the guy for them. I've kind of thought about this off camera and kind of spoken with others about where they stand on Charlotte. And I genuinely feel like P.J. Washington's ability to shoot the three, stretch the floor for them and be a true pick and pop or pick and roll partner for Devontae Graham with the way he runs an offense is something that I feel like is going to be a huge difference maker for them when it comes to his ability to just give them something different. It seems like they always have a litany of scores. Of course, Malik Monk is a guy who we've been asking for a long while now. When he gets it right, what can he mean for this team? A guy like Miles Bridges, can he be a building block as an older forward, you know, coming out of Michigan State, 
can he be a true building block for this team? Devontae Graham is the first time that I've seen a true point guard really run the offense for them. And I feel like he's a guy who, since leaving Kansas, or even when he was at Kansas, has been an underrated ball distributor. And I think you said on you said on a past episode that it definitely should have been in the conversation for most improved player of the year this year. So they have a lot of bright spots that I like, and I really think it's just going to come down to P.J. Washington continuing to develop their young talent as a whole, becoming more cohesive as an entire group. And unfortunately, it might be time to ask the question as to if they need to take another look at the coaching staff in terms of getting a guy that's hard-nosed in there and getting a guy who develops talent, a.k.a. potentially maybe a Kenny Atkinson who still is kind of waving the white flag wondering where he may end up. I think you really nailed it right on the head with that one. I think Kenny Atkinson is a good coaching choice for the Hornets. Honestly, when dealing with a young team, he dealt with a young team in Brooklyn that took them to the playoffs as a six seed. So I think that he's got a chance. I feel like he's got a chance to really do that here with the Charlotte Hornets if he's able to get a job with them. You mentioned Devontae Graham, though, and it's actually a great transition to our next award, which is the most snubbed NBA player who I believe is Devontae Graham for the Most Improved Player Award. I mean, you talk about a guy who has been robbed of being a finalist for this award. It's almost just disrespectful without even naming him in the category of this award. Here's the thing, though. Luka Doncic has improved, but like going up from 21 a game and winning Rookie of the Year to 29 a game, that's like MVP level. And I still feel like I would consider him as a snub for the MVP award. But I just think that Devontae Graham, this may have been the biggest snub of the awards so far. Devontae Graham has made a significant jump in his second season in the league. He went from averaging under five points a game to 18 points a game. He averaged 18 and seven for the season. He's become a reliable contributor on the floor for the Hornets and makes a good compliment to Terry Rozier. I have to bring up a specific game, though, that really put him on the map. He had a 40-point game against the Brooklyn Nets where he hit seven threes in that game. I think that game really put him on the map, and that's the game where I feel like, you know, Devontae Graham is really a player to watch out for going forward. But we have to give Devontae Graham the respect that he deserves. I mean, I think Devontae Graham, if I haven't said it already, and I feel like you, you articulated it really well, is that, When it comes to Devontae, I feel like his jump was just so significant. You know what I mean? I think this is one of those things when it comes down to the award of most improved player that I think he got snubbed out of the fact that his team didn't produce. And although he took an individual jump, a lot of his team success factored a lot into whether or not he was included in the MIP award conversation. I honestly have to kind of touch on someone a little different. And it's not even a player, actually, that I feel like is my most snubbed. It's actually a coach. Indiana Pacers coach Nate McMillan needs to stop receiving the disrespect that he keeps getting. This is two years in a row now that he's led the Indiana Pacers to the fourth seed in the East with little to no expectations for his team. This is a team this year that had their lead guard in Victor Oladipo out for most of the year. Malcolm Brogdon was out for 
in and out of the league. I mean, in and out of the the um the rotation due to injury multiple times throughout you know this season, and he still left. He still led the team to forty three wins, and they're fifth in the standings right now, above the seventy sixers who everybody pays so much homage to. The fact that he was left out of this conversation is absolutely ridiculous to me. And I love Budenholzer as a coach, but I feel like they literally just throw him in the conversation because his team is a 50-plus win team on a regular basis these last two seasons. I feel like Nate McMillan is a guy who's been consistent with an inconsistent roster. I know all of this hoopla around TJ Warren is like taking over the internet. But remember that this has been a season-long thing where the Indiana Pacers have had their had their hand on the pulse of the Eastern Conference all season. And somehow two years in a row, no Nate. Just can't respect it. But that's why he's on our list, dude. Yeah, that's definitely a good selection just because I feel like, yes, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And he's not a guy who is a Mike Boonholzer or a Nick Nurse or a Doc Rivers that has just so much talent on their team. Nick McMillan is working with guys who aren't highly regarded in the league, I guess outside of Victor Oladipo, but like he's not working with guys who are highly regarded right now in the league, but they're all talented players. You could say that those players are underrated, which (laughs) is a segue to our most underrated player award with an honorable mention. So Jalen, who is the winner for your most underrated player? The guy who should have been an all-star like three times already in the past three years, Drew Holiday for the Pelicans, dude. I'm pretty sure I've talked at nauseum about Drew Holiday either on this podcast or off camera, Ryan. But, like, let's just put something in perspective this season, man. 19.1 points per game, nearly seven assists per game, nearly five rebounds per game, shoots 45% from the floor and doesn't get even even in the conversation for being an all-star this season. This is a guy who constantly puts up anywhere between 15 and 20 points every year, does his thing on both sides on the floor as one of the primary wing defenders basically guards the one through three for this Pelicans team has been a staple for the Pelicans franchise in terms of professionalism and helping the young squad that they have in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, insert names here from the, from the litany of players they got to draft this season. He's been a staple of the franchise for so long and his name just continues to be overlooked. And I just find that I just find that he needs a little bit more respect. When you listen to other podcasts, like the All the Smoke podcast ran by Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, they ask the same question of who is the most underrated player in the league. And most of his peers say that it's him. His teammates know it's him. The players he plays against knows it's him. We just need fans to understand just how great of a player Drew Holiday is. And I guess my under uh, my honorable mention just to kind of slide it in there, would be Michael Porter Jr., a guy who's been performing extremely well in the bubble and has been a guy who, during this season, when when playing more than 25 minutes per game, averages anywhere between 15 and 21 points. So this is a guy who can put the ball in the hoop, 
is going to be a huge X factor for the Nuggets this um this playoffs. And I think might be a guy worth thinking about putting in the starting rotation with the fact that Paul Millsap is going to be a free agent this season, this offseason. So, I mean, those are my two. My honorable mention is Tim Hardaway Jr. Ooh, okay. A viable third option for the Dallas Mavericks, especially considering that when you think of Dallas, you normally think of guys like Luka Doncic and Chris Porzingis. But we forget the impact that Tim Hardaway has had on this team. I think maybe not only an underrated player, an honorable mention for an underrated player, but he's become a great scoring option for the Mavericks, a great third scoring option for the Mavericks. I think he's one of the more underrated three-point shooters in the league, but he's been phenomenal this season, and he's become a key contributor for this team going into the playoffs. My most underrated player is a top defender in this league, Robert Covington. Oh, okay. Ryan, go in because I, you know I love some Rocco. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he is one of the best defenders in the league today. I think with, with uh, Houston focusing on small ball and Mike D'Antoni being more of an offensive-minded coach, I think he's overlooked on a team that has two of the greatest players in the league right now, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Mm-hmm. But what, what makes this team very interesting is his front court duel with P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker is only 6'5". Robert Covington is 6'7". P.J. Tucker has the responsibility of covering the paint. Covington pretty much has his head on a swivel, and he's defending pretty much everywhere else. I always thought he was underrated with the Sixers. He was underrated with the Timberwolves, and he's still underrated with the Rockets. I think this is a defender who can lock down guys like Paul George, guys like Kawhi Leonard. I think he's an underrated player, a top five defender, and he's a key player for Houston going into the playoffs. And what I'm curious to see is how he can defend some of the best scorers in the league, like the aforementioned Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I mean, Rocco is an excellent choice too, man, because I feel like he's a guy who, I mean, it seems like he's always attached to a team that has two young stars on it or two, two young stars, or I guess in the case of the Rockets, two whole MVPs. And it's kind of hard to get a little shine as a defender who basically is, you know, the definition of what the league is looking for on each team being a three and D wing. And he literally is the walking staple of that position yet he's always attached to the new shiny toy in the room or the two guys who have the ability to take over the league on a nightly basis. And so with that being the case, he doesn't get the type of recognition that he gets. But like I said, he's a staple of the position that every team needs, and that is a 3 and D wing. And he probably does it better than most, if not all, players that you would consider to fit that category. So I think Robert Coverton is an excellent excellent most underrated player award winner considering the fact that this is a guy who is just a difference maker for teams in the small ways that you don't see a lot i think this is a good way to to transition the question of the day to our fans let's have our fans make up an award and then let's see the player who they give that award to so our question of the day is what award do you think should be part of the hoop talk podcast and who is the player that you should give that award to? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, 
Make sure when you rate our podcast, you give it five stars. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple. This has been a great episode today. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.